Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week we bring in the most interesting conversations from around the media industry, and today we have a special episode coming to you from our digital journalism conference News Rewired, which started this week, and we've got the main talking points from our keynote speech by Julie Pacetti, Global Research Director of the International Centre for Journalists. She'll be talking about the main findings and conclusions from its Journalism and the Pandemic project, launched in collaboration with the Tau Centre at Columbia University in October. They put out a survey with the goal of mapping how journalists and news organisations have been affected by the coronavirus pandemic, from the main concerns of staff to the key challenges facing newsrooms, and that's with one eye on how journalism might be reimagined in a post-pandemic world. Important caveat before jumping in, the study we are talking about today is representative of just more than 1,400 responses from English-speaking journalists in 125 countries, the top five of which be the US, India, Nigeria, the UK and Brazil, and this was conducted between mid-May and the end of June 2020. Julie's main message from the report is that post-pandemic journalism will be more mission-driven, public service-focused and audience-centred. There's more on that to come, but first, here's a quick reminder for your diary. Journalism.co.uk is bringing you two weeks of expert discussions at our digital journalism conference, News Rewired. While the talks have begun, it's not too late to join us for week two. And we've got more lined up with panels on improving mental health in the newsroom, workshops on rethinking your journalism career, and much, much more. You don't want to miss out. Head over to newsrewired.com for the full agenda and tickets, and we hope to see you there. I want to start with this thought. This was one of the points we took away from an analysis um, of the first set of respondents. So that's Julie Pacetti, Global Research Director of the International Centre for Journalists. And here she's talking about the journalism and the pandemic project. We had over 2,100 responses across uh, five languages, uh, seven languages, sorry. Um, but we analysed in the first instance the bulk of responses over 1400 from the English language survey. And one of our impressions was based on how the journalists told us they were dealing with their audiences, um, the sorts of experiences they had in interacting with their audiences, but also through the power of their reporting and different methods they'd deployed, that journalism in a post-pandemic world must be more mission-driven and public service-focused as well as audience-centred. This is quite a good place to start. As we will soon find out, there's a massive audience need around providing accurate COVID-19 reporting. The big challenge next year will be keeping that up amongst all the other stresses and strains that we are experiencing on an individual and collective level, and not to lose sight of why we exist, to inform the public, particularly in a moment of crisis and global uncertainty. Let's now dig into some of those challenges that the survey brought out. The most difficult aspect um, of covering the pandemic as identified by our respondents was the psychological and emotional impacts. Uh, 70% of our respondents identified those issues. Of course, um, feeding into that was this other uh, statistic there, 67% 
expressing concern about unemployment or other financial impacts and data that shows um, the impact as well of exhaustion, of burnout, of the intensity of the workload and the social isolation, uh, particularly among um, younger uh, journalists working from home in physical isolation as well as uh, social isolation. Interesting to me still, every time I look at this statistic, is that in one, two, three, four, fifth place was fear of contracting the virus. Um, many of our respondents were still working uh, on the front line of um, reporting, so actually going out, you know, mixing in uh, environments uh, that included hospitals, um, refugee camps, uh, during protests and so on. Um, but that was, was the fifth uh, highest uh, concern when it came to um, the level of difficulty. Still um, over um, half indicated the technical challenges of reporting in a socially distant manner was also really significant. Okay, so a fair amount there to take in. Let's recap those top five challenges of covering COVID-19 personally. The psychological and emotional toll, unemployment and financial concerns, feelings of exhaustion and burnout, the loneliness associated with social isolation, a genuine fear of contracting the virus, and of course the technical issues and hiccups while working remotely. And this really speaks to a lot of the themes that we have covered recently and highlights just what strain the coronavirus pandemic has put on reporters. Julie goes on to mention how 82% of their respondents reported having at least one negative psychological impact, two-thirds with multiple impacts and one-third affected by the top five negative reactions, which includes being diagnosed with anxiety or depression for the first time. In fact, 15% of respondents said they sought psychological support for the first time. Beyond the psychological risk factors is the very physical threat of the infection itself. 30% of respondents said that their employers had sent them into the field without any protective gear. We're not talking full-blown PPE, but goggles, masks, hand sanitizer, that kind of thing. This was back in May and June, remember, so she hopes employers have improved since then. Now, moving away from the psychological and the physical, what are the other threats facing journalists? Well, as we find out, it's attacks on the press. We had really uh, disturbing evidence of um, online harassment or online uh, violence increasing during the period. 20% of the English language respondents indicated that um, online harassment was much worse during the period. Um, this statistic here, 10% of them said they'd been publicly abused uh, by a politician or elected official while reporting on the pandemic. 3% um, said they'd been physically attacked a smaller percentage still fined, arrested, detained, charged or sentenced to jail. Um, evidence within that subset of respondents too of so-called fake news laws being used against journalists. But probably um, one of the more disturbing findings uh, from this set is the direct censorship of reporting and um, the political pressure that was applied to any attempt to critically uh, report or to hold government officials to account for their responses to the pandemic. Um, and these are statistics that are very much being reflected in work being done by, say, uh, the Committee to Protect uh, Journalists, Reporters Without Borders, Index on Censorship and others, um, IPI, other organisations uh, collecting data about the impacts. Online harassment, accusations of fake news, censorship, what else is new? 
These are all sadly factors which the industry has become used to. It's what Julie says next about sources, which is a real cause for concern. Another really uh, important point to note is that it's not just having an effect, um, this set of threats uh, and and, uh, negative impacts of the pandemic on journalists and the practice of journalism. It's having a negative effect on sources. It's chilling sources. Um, And that is very much a reflection of the sorts of crackdowns we're seeing um, of the the leak hunt investigations that are underway um, and sources particularly within the medical field um, and within the scientific community in certain countries uh, quite concerned about speaking out and, and their concerns range from um, you know the fear of losing their jobs um, or being fined right through to uh, physical or legal repercussions so that's something that needs to be considered when we think about Um, how to respond. This strikes me as a really significant point because at a time when accurate public interest news and health reporting is so desperately needed, the sources we need are perhaps more reluctant to speak out and have such serious concerns about their own personal safety. To another point, we need expert sources in particular to cut through the myths and disinformation which has been rife throughout COVID-19. And that's exactly what Julie explains next. Another big impact um, that we can identify was journalists' experience of disinformation uh, during their coverage of the pandemic. And we have heard, uh, you know, that there is a parallel pandemic of disinformation, which um, the World Health Organization calls an infodemic, uh, which UNESCO um, in research projects I've been working on um, refer to a disinfodemic. So, um, and, and the reason that the word disinfodemic is often used and we're focused on disinformation here is because um, misinformation is often seeded uh, through deliberate acts of disinformation spreading. And political leaders and uh, government-sponsored troll networks, government agencies and their spokespeople, there are are high numbers of respondents uh, identifying those groups as significant sources or top sources of disinformation among our respondents. Um, And propagandistic uh, or heavily partisan news media Um, is another uh, problem area as well identified by the journalists. Interestingly, despite, you know, our fixation and uh, frequent coverage of foreign influence agents, say, um, you know, uh, hostile states um, sponsoring disinformation campaigns, um, many of our respondents uh, were focused instead on the domestic problems. Now, if you think about this in the context of um, the United States, where we've had top-down disinformation Uh, from the president himself um, or in uh, Bolsonaro's Brazil, these things uh, become very clear. The same can be said of um, places like uh, the Philippines with Duterte. So a correlation of disinformation and and strongman politics there as well. Importantly, also, uh, we found that journalists were encountering disinformation um, at prolific levels on social media platforms, notably uh, Facebook, 66% of our respondents identified Facebook, um, 42% a fair distance behind was Twitter, but back to Facebook owned WhatsApp there at 35% coming in third place. Um, YouTube was on 22%. Uh, and as uh, Emily Bell often reflects, that is probably a reflection of the fact that 
um, many uh, journalists um, do not work actively on YouTube, whereas uh, Facebook and Twitter are, um, and WhatsApp are, are entrenched now as um, everyday tools, as is um, Instagram, although the figure there uh, is, is comparatively low compared to Facebook and WhatsApp. While this level of disinformation was being experienced or encountered by journalists on those platforms, and um, we had, you know, those those top-down sources being identified, there was also um, an increased uh, reliance and dependency um, on social media, exacerbating what I sometimes refer to as platform capture. You know, where you are forced uh, to engage and uh, with audiences and to um, uh, to you know rely on such platforms for distribution of content and even for reporting. Um, you're in the midst of uh, a swirl of disinformation, which is is problematically um, not well responded to by the platforms, which our respondents also told us about. I love that description, a parallel pandemic of disinformation. But that proliferation of sources of disinformation is really clear in the numbers, at the top being regular citizens, closely followed by political leaders, and then attention-seeking trolls, all in and around that 40-plus percent bracket. What that also demonstrates is the range of motives behind disinformation and the ways that it can take form, particularly on social media platforms. Is it all doom and gloom though? Not exactly. News organisations have clearly taken the fight to disinformation. On a more, I suppose, positive note, how were journalists responding um, through their reporting to this problem of disinformation? And we can see some evidence of, um, of more creative and collaborative responses to the problem uh, through this data. So 20% said they were collaborating with uh, other news organisations, um, NGOs or academics on investigations into disinformation. 12% said they were engaging audiences in media literacy campaigns. And this for me is um, is significant, although the, the, the number might not seem significant, but 7% of our respondents said they were uh, creating COVID-specific disinformation beats. Uh, and 6% talked about conducting live fact-checking during press conferences, which was a challenge uh, that emerged during the pandemic um, in, in, in significant ways, but of course uh, continues and has been for some time an issue of concern um, within the context of political reporting more broadly. This goes right to the heart of the issue, simply having the bandwidth and resources in place to tackle disinformation. COVID-19 has been disruptive, and rolling out these sort of practices is hard. As a result, the industry has relied more on platforms to shoulder this weight. That's perhaps reflected in the 29% of respondents who did produce fact checks and debunks, but this was the highest figure as a practice adopted to combat COVID disinformation. This is going to be the key battleground as we move forward, continuing these sort of practices on reduced bandwidth. The same could be said of audience engagement strategies too, which have proved effective to establish common ground between reporters and audiences. And while physical audience engagement events had been cancelled, uh, in many cases, again, unsurprising, people were working harder at identifying the needs of their audiences during the period. And we had a real sense that uh, from the journalists who responded to the survey that they recognised that this was a shared experience uh, with their audiences. You know, we're all living through this together. Um, and so there was a, an acute um, understanding of the need to identify what it was that people needed to know, uh, where the information gaps were, um, and a sort of, you know, role of public service uh, in the journalism. 
certainly people experimenting with um, a whole range of online events. One of the ongoing questions is, you know, are these sorts of seminars, uh, digital seminars here to stay? Uh, what role will they play uh, in the aftermath of the pandemic? This is also really important at the bottom there, that 8% uh, of our respondents said they were increasingly tapping into their uh, members or subscribers um, expertise, which is, of course, a marker um, of more um, explicit and deliberate um, engagement, which can lead to stronger and narrower and deeper engagement, which is what ultimately we hope um, we are aiming for. So let's tie this up for a second. We are coming into 2021 within the context of newsroom staff increasingly feeling the psychological and emotional toll of lockdown and the coronavirus pandemic, plus this landscape of abundant and rife disinformation coming in left, right and centre. The painful combination here is stretching ourselves to overcome all of these mounting obstacles while we are working with reduced bandwidths, while we are working with reduced resources. It's a tall order. Is there any hope in sight? And so some of the bright spots, and I think here is where you start to see cues uh, to what the future might hold. 61% um, of our respondents described uh, an increasing sense of mission or commitment to journalism. Um, another really important figure, I think, this is not a measure of audience expression of trust in journalism, but a measure of our respondents' perception of audience trust, but the way they feel about their audience's uh, perspectives on their journalism is directly related to the sorts of experiences they have through engagement with their audience. And 43% said they felt that audience trust in their journalism or their news organisation's journalism had increased during this period uh, of the pandemic. And that also is a reflection of this figure here, that a quarter said that the audience feedback they did receive was more positive than normal. And when we broke that down, that included people um, wanting to help uh, with reporting, wanting to correct errors in a constructive way, uh, and generally wanting to be of service uh, and recognising the role of the news organisations in that um, situation. 61% felt an increased commitment to journalism. 43% felt audience trust in journalism had increased and 24% cited more positive audience feedback than usual. We are looking at another peak in the pandemic at this moment in time and the message feels like a motivational one. Out of this crisis where we are really feeling the strain and the difficulties, there is such a clear opportunity to own this moment and get our audiences on board with us and our mission. But are we in danger of running before we can walk. So, you know, there are many paradoxes uh, in this uh, data set and much to think about in terms of, um, you know, how we should respond to journalism now in the peak of this second wave where, you know, we are still seeing incredibly devastating uh, financial impacts and also psychological um, and workplace safety impacts uh, on journalists. But I think it's important before we move to this phase of trying to um, you know, imagine a new future for journalism in a post-pandemic world, to be thinking about right now, how do we respond as citizens who consume news, as journalists who practice it, as news organisations struggling still to publish it, um, or as donors seeking to try to invest in journalism's future. The top need identified over three quarters uh, saying that they needed uh, funding to cover the operational costs um, associated with the economic impacts of the pandemic. 
and that reflects 17% of our respondents who said that they had knowledge of the financial status um, of their organisation, uh, their news organisation, said that funds uh, or revenues rather had dropped by 75% or more, which is a pretty staggering result and certainly explains this um, in part this 76% uh, figure regarding the top need being uh, funding. Not too far behind though was training on new technologies to report uh, support um, socially distanced reporting and publishing um, and advanced verification and fact checking training which of course is extremely important um, with uh, training on science and medical health reporting following very closely behind. So this need for uh, better expertise deeper expertise as well to ensure that what we're able to do, particularly in countering disinformation and contributing to public health um, as journalists is uh, strong and ethical and uh, reliable. And of course, important to finish on the note that 62% uh, of our respondents said that they wanted assistance with managing their mental health and wellbeing. That was above you know, any uh, request for um, some sort of you know, additional physical uh, protective equipment. You could frame it in a sense that in order for us to enter into 2021 with a renewed sense of mission and determination, the key areas of need largely centre around upskilling and being equipped to deal with the complexity of the task at hand. New technologies, verification and fact-checking, and guidance around science, health and medical reporting. But the other concerns seem to be very individual. The top priority on the basis of this report was financial support and there's also the need for mental health and well-being assistance. At this point of the discussion, Marcella Canova, the journalism.co.uk editor and the presenter for News of Wired, asked an important closing question which really tied together all of the things that we were talking about. You know, some of the people say, well, you know, pandemic has been obviously tough, we are exhausted, people are burning out, you know, there's lots of uncertainty. So it's quite a vulnerable place to be. And mm -hmm. there is kind of another school of thought that says everything is changing. People are expecting change. If you want to change something, now is the right time. Let's reinvent journalism. How can we start with this change whilst also being exhausted and burnt out? It's a really important question. Um, and it, it, it immediately throws me back to work I did a few years ago now um, for the Reuters Institute looking at uh, innovation. And at the beginning of that project, um, I uh, did some in-depth interviews and roundtables with um, you know, people who we would treat as experts in, in, in this area of journalism transformation, particularly digital journalism transformation. Um, and some people will remember, because people still ask me about this report, a report that we called by shorthand the Shiny Things Report, which demonstrated um, that there was real fatigue, even at that point, two years pre-pandemic, real fatigue and burnout associated with perpetual change, but also innovation that was not focused, that was not meaningful, that wasn't purposeful, or innovation that was technology-led rather than being journalism or editorially-led, um, or, or innovation that was not focused on, you know, deepening um, investment in communities. And I think that we need to go back to those sorts of lessons and um, underline them and also think creatively about how we can learn from that moment of pausing, which happened only a couple of years ago, uh, and now 
what is likely to be, I fear, a real crash and burn. I mean, I'm, uh, at the end, you know, it, once vaccinations start rolling out um, and assuming, you know, things go well on that front and we all start to relax a little um, and move about the world, um, you know, perhaps not back to our normal lives, but in a way uh, that journalism expects us to continue without doing what we would if we were turning to a war zone now, which is to go through a process of you know, rehabilitation uh, to, to be able to unburden ourselves, to be able to recover. Um, I think we are really uh, at risk of you know, what is clearly already in evidence, and this is not just based on our research, uh, research that's being done by, um, by others, uh, colleagues at the Reuters Institute, um, you know, many, many research uh, organisations, but also NGOs working with journalism are sounding the alarm bell about the state of uh, mental health. And this is very much connected to capacity to innovate, to capacity to develop sustainable models. And I have to underline as well, you can't succeed at creating sustainable models when there is not the investment available to do so. There are so many challenges mounting now, but Perseverance, you know, resilience, these are important words, but I also think we have to acknowledge the enormous um, strain that people are under while we look to a future that um, that is hopefully, you know, more based on serving uh, communities' needs. And if we can turn this moment of, um, of shared uh, experience of living through a pandemic into building uh, more trusted uh, or trusting relationships between audiences and journalism, then I think, uh, you know, we, we have opportunities. Um, but we need two things. We need investment and we need the capacity, the energy to be able to do this. And I think those two, those are the two, obviously, you know, biggest challenges. Julie, thank you very much. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. And just one thing to say, um, we've also published that report for those from uh, other language groups in French, uh, Spanish and Arabic. So you'll find that on the ICFJ website as well as English and more to come. Big thanks to Julie for leading that excellent keynote speech and lots there to think about as we try to navigate the ongoing impacts of this pandemic and strive to enter 2021 with renewed strength. The survey does well to map this wicked challenge of needing to adapt in this difficult information landscape while newsrooms are scattered and journalists are stressed out. It's just useful to remember that audiences feel this way as well they are also isolated and frustrated and worried so explore that common ground uh, and that will be something for me to think about you know this is why julie says that post-pandemic journalism needs to be mission driven public service focused and audience centered if you like what you heard you can find more of our episodes on spotify and apple podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast if you'd like to join me on the podcast drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk and i would love to hear from you and don't forget the newswide discussions continue next week on tuesday the 8th and thursday the 10th of december and there's plenty more to come around how journalists should use social media platforms thoughts around unpublishing the news and much much more and it's not too late to join us head over to newswire.com for the full agenda and tickets and we hope to see you there but that's all we have time for this week thanks so much for listening i've been your host jacob granger until next time Thank you.